Welcome to another episode, guys, of Behind the Visual, where I interview all those people responsible for creating and putting together the images and videos you see out in the world every day. I am your host, advertising and lifestyle photographer, Mark Hansen, and today my guest is producer Annika Howe. Annika is the creative executive producer at How House and the founder of theproducer.com. She has a lot of cool stuff. I mean, her clients include everybody you can think of. She has worked with Coke, Pepsi, NFL, State Farm, Hilton Hotels, McDonald's, GMC, and on and on and on. And she actually has uh, went to school for international relations and worked in the German parliament before becoming a producer. She was a journalist on TV over in Germany. She speaks three languages fluently and a whole bunch of other ones enough to, to get around. She's been on She's a little bit of an adrenaline junkie, she told me. So she's um, been diving with sharks. She uh, has skydived. She goes swimming all year round outside, no matter how cold it is, even in Germany, and which I don't understand at all. She um, does international production. She helps photographers with estimates and negotiations and collaborations. So if you're a photographer and you don't have a rep and you need some help, or maybe if you do have a rep and need some help, She's a great person to go to. Um, man, I don't even know what, how to go. I mean, she's done it all. So check this one out. We have a great conversation. I think you'll really enjoy it. And um, look forward to hearing what you guys think about it. Thank you for agreeing to do this. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited and I'm thrilled. Thank you. Well, tell me a little bit about how you became a producer, how you got into this. I know you, you were born in Germany, correct? No, I actually was not born in Germany. No, um, I am a dual citizen. So I was born in Michigan. Okay. And um, I did grow up um, bouncing between both Michigan and Germany. Um, But I was born in Michigan. Was your dad in the military? No, my mom was an exchange student and they met on a blind date so my mom is german my dad is american and that's how they met oh wow okay yep that's pretty cool (laughs) yeah pretty romantic uh very old school and um yeah so i mean my my career path is not a the most straightforward trajectory so it's not that typical I want to be a lawyer. I'm going to go to undergrad and then go to law school and become a lawyer. It's definitely much more roundabout. I think because of my upbringing, because I was raised internationally, um, I was really drawn to diplomacy and international relations. That I I always thought I would go into politics. Really? I did. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I was originally in international relations. I ended up studying in Europe and in, in the States. Um, and I studied international relations with a specialty on um, political economics and economies in transition. And after I graduated, I ended up uh, moving to Berlin and I received a fellowship in the German parliament and I worked in the German parliament for the MP who was the head of the commission for media and culture. Wow. <laughs> and so um, that was quite, quite removed from production, but I should note that I also had a second degree in German film and literature, and I have always been arts enthusiastic. So on my mom's side of the family, both my grandmother and her identical twin, they're both painters. Um, you know, my grandfather was played a big role in supporting the arts as well. And um, so that was always something in, in the back of my mind. My um, Although I don't deem myself a photographer, my first camera was given to me by my great uncle, who looks a little bit like Albert Einstein. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I guess my first, you know, my first career move after studying was working in the parliament. And I had the great privilege and honor to work for an MP who was the co-founder of Greenpeace in Germany. She was also, wow. or she is, you know, she's still with us. <laughs> she is... Um, <laughs> very international, very savvy. And she also recognized in me that my skills um, maybe lent themselves to more organizational and and writing. And so I was given the tasks of writing her speeches and doing her press releases, which was wonderful because I think there's a real um, 
importance in knowing what your day-to-day -day activities are going to be when you get out of college and you think, this is what I want to do. Do you know what your actual day-to-day -day tasks are going to be? That's what, you know, your life and a profession is actually made oh. up of are those smaller moments. And so if you, like me at that moment, if you needed to wear a suit to work every day and you were doing legislative research about laws that really weren't so exciting to you like that. Um, it wasn't what I thought that career would be. And I had the real privilege and honor of working with somebody who recognized my talents and pushed me in that direction. And so when she was welcoming, you know, Spanish ballet troops to Berlin or um, opening up a theater festival in a smaller town in Germany, I would accompany her. I'd write the press releases and the speeches and that was really vibrant and exciting for me because I was out of the office. Um, you know, I had my hands in something new and every week was something different. And that's something that has definitely carried itself over into um, my, my love of our industry and the production work that I do. Wow. So at what point did you switch out of that and just like, I'm done with this. I want to be a producer. <laughs> um, so I, I worked there for a while and then I became a TV journalist for the German um, federal TV station called Deutsche Welle, DW. So it's roughly equivalent to the BBC. Okay. And there I worked for a media and culture um, TV magazine that had me writing, pitching, uh, directing feature pieces for TV. And that was so exciting because that was when the 15 new EU member states had just joined. Oh, so yeah, I yeah. was flying around to Lithuania and Poland and Malta and interviewing these individuals who were young up and coming, you know, culture and media stars. Um, and I don't mean that in the sense of like film tabloid stars, but people who are really affecting change in these 15 new EU member states. So that was super exciting. And um, then, um, so that's how I also was introduced to freelance and freelance was excellent for me because if you know me, I have lots of energy and I'm pretty ambitious, um, and I love connecting with other individuals, but I also am a morning person. And so I could get up at six in the morning and be done with work by three, and um, I could create my own schedule. So freedom is definitely That's one of my nice, core yeah. values. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so that was really exciting. And then after that, I ended up moving back to the States. And in Chicago, I was fortunate um, enough to work with a commercial film production company that was based in both Chicago and Los Angeles. And that's where I learned to take my production and my, you know, my research skills and things and put those to use, but for an end client. So working in the ad world was, that was a big difference for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, can we make the logo bigger? Can we have more presence of the product in the shot? But that's where I really learned and um, the owners of that company were fantastic. They really took me under their wing. And, you know, um, it was a smaller company. And the owner was a former, very successful commercial photographer who had made his entree into the film world really early and very successfully. So, um, you know, a lot of his friends around the office were still, you know, commercial photographers. And we were still, um, that, that's kind of how, I started to move into the photography realm of things as well. So once I decided to leave there, I had a little crisis of faith and thought, shoot, what am I doing? I'm putting all my, all my skills towards the ad world. You know, maybe I should go back into, you know, the foreign service. And so I took the foreign service exam and then I thought, no, wait, that's too bureaucratic. I can't be freelance. I'm not going to do that. Um, I thought maybe I'd do political consulting again, but that wasn't for me. And then ultimately I just decided what's the biggest risk, but also the biggest reward. Start your own company. And yeah. That's what I, yeah. Wow. And how many years have you been doing this? I think, with it's, your own nearly, own? I think it's nearly 15 now. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. You get some magic, mega clients too. I mean, you've had some pretty national big, what I got Coke, Pepsi, Google, GMC, Hilton, hotels, McDonald's, NFL, State Farm. And it just like, the list just seemed to go on and on and on and on. Thank so you, Mark. Yeah, I've been really fortunate. And I think that um, part of what's needed in production is, you know, you take a custom approach for supporting your clients, supporting your photographers and 
your agencies and um, that has them coming back. So yeah. that's, really, that's really fantastic. Yeah, I think that's a huge part is making sure they come back. <laughs> doing, the, doing the best job to make them come back. So you must, how many languages do you speak? Well, I would say that I speak three fluently and maybe six or seven. Yeah, so. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I have to say I've been fortunate enough to, I was raised with two languages. And if you if you learn two at such a young age, it's easier for you to learn a third and a fourth. And some languages are just so similar. So it's easy for me to understand Dutch. It's easy for me to understand Afrikaans because I spend a lot of time in South Africa as well. Oh, and wow. um, yeah, so once you pick up one, it's, it's easy to pick up another. Okay, a friend of mine told me that if you can speak English, it's easier to learn German. So is English is a Germanic-based language. Okay, because mm -hmm. I was like, I don't see it. But she was like, it is, because she speaks two or three different languages. And then her daughter's been in Germany. So she's learned German. She was, and she's, I think she's learning German now. And she's like, it's easier to speak German. And her and, second language is English. Mm, yeah. Well, I'm not going to say it's the new romance language, but no. there, are some, <laughs> <laughs> there are some fundamental, uh, you know, in terms of the, the grammar and the, yeah, we don't want to get into that too much, do we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah if you need some international support i'm here for you <laughs> all right yeah my god what's the other what's the third language that you speak fluently french yeah yeah yep. so then you can ask where's the bathroom and about every other language there is there <laughs> <laughs> i haven't made my way into the asian languages quite yet so we'll see yeah those are um, difficult i would think oh yeah yeah um yeah so what other so, questions do you have for me mark what about being a producer is What's the most difficult thing about being a producer? Because I know you've got to you've got to deal with the client, you got to deal with a photographer, you got to deal with what you you deal with everything. So, what do you think is the most difficult part about your job? That's a great question, and I would say it's it's maybe two sides of the same coin. So, what's difficult about, about being a producer is also perhaps the most rewarding. Um, you don't have one clear way of doing things, right? So, my creativity is problem solving. And so a photographer might be there to provide the visual solution for an issue. But as a producer, I'm there to provide creative problem solving. So when something goes wrong, it's on my shoulders, but it's also within my powers. And it's something I really, really love. I don't do well with going to the same office every day, doing the same thing. And so this has really been uh, a blessing for me to to have this career because every week is so wildly different and you get to flex muscles that you didn't know you had and you're challenged. I love a challenge. And so inevitably on a production, you know this as a commercial photographer, the best laid plans always go wrong. <laughs> yes. Always a production fire to put out. But I'm somebody who just gets very calm and focused in that calamity. And that's when the wheels really start spinning. And that's exciting for me. So it's almost like triage. <laughs> um, and it doesn't mean there isn't stress in it, but right. I think, you know, there, there is a role that stress plays in your body too, and adrenaline. So it's, it's all something that, that you can harness and you can play with. And it's not something that scares me. So um, yeah, there's definitely been some interesting scenarios on shoots, but that's when I feel I get to be the best producer that I possibly can be is when you're problem solving. If it's just a studio shoot and you're shooting product and you know, it's a repeat client and you, you kind of know, you kind of know the drill. That's lovely. It's a lovely client and collaboration and uh, to, to have, but it may not be where you're flexing your most creativity. And as we've seen in this pandemic as well, when things are pulled away from you, you have, you have less tools to work with. You have, that's when true creativity comes about. And that's also why I started hosting Creative Camp during the pandemic is there were all these photographers and gallerists and illustrators and videographers who didn't have an outlet there for their creativity. And so um, I'm really big on community and supporting our industry. And so I just started hosting Creative camp first it was three times a week <laughs> for three yeah. months <laughs> and then we started pulling back and hosting it once a week and um you know that was a great way to um kind of harness individuals creativity and give them an outlet as well are you still doing that 
I am still doing that. It's in a new, I, there are, there's a group of about 12 of us who, who have been together since the pandemic and I'm starting a new iteration of creative camp actually at the end of the month. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So there's some accountability in there. There's some, um, creativity workshops and exercises that we do. And it's, it's a really positive experience. And what I've appreciated about, about this is that collaborations have happened. I've seen people hiring each other. I've seen people um, mentoring one another. And in a time where it's been very difficult for people to create new connections, do any sort of networking or really build upon their their portfolio, a lot of that has happened within this group. And I'm really proud of all the individuals who've taken part. So it's been nice. Well, that's good. How has the COVID thing affected your business and how you produce and all that kind of stuff? Have you done any shoots since this whole thing? How's all that going? Well, I will admit that at the beginning of the lockdown, it was a very abrupt, um, a very abrupt end to any productions that were in process. And Mm -hmm. because I do a lot of large scale, often internationally focused projects, that of course was halted immediately. And so um, the hotel chain that I was doing projects for and um, a a female based, something I was really excited about was an all female crew, all female cast, video shoot that was also happening internationally we had to we had to cancel that as well um but um yeah so in within three days or so i had three major contracts that just pulled the force majeure and and canceled yeah that was alarming and yet to be expected um any of those get rescheduled um one got rescheduled and two did not the nature of the shoot for um, the female crew and cast was was based around a certain idea that had a you know a, a time limit to it. Wow. So, um, and and so then I just I regrouped. I have to be honest. I needed a bit of a break um, because I had been working for the past six months almost nonstop, and and it was nice to rest and get a full night's sleep and kind of you know just regroup reorganize my digital files take some time i i do tend to be i'm not a pollyanna but i'm definitely a pragmatic optimist and i found that time to be very useful and needed and it but it wasn't without its its darkness and you know my place was in the east village in manhattan and you know during some of the protests and the rallies things got pretty yeah. wild and you know you're in manhattan you don't have a lot of space or daylight or contact with you know (laughs) with others and so um i had to get creative as well and that's i think i needed the creative camp as much as the participants did i think and so that's how that came about but yeah i did have i did have um other productions and what i did notice midsummer was that projects were being um you know thrown around and estimates were needed but the concepts were changing from day to day because of what depending on what phase we were in and what concepts were actually allowed so if you know a campaign needed 20 people in an audience with you know um, 15 extras that obviously was not possible during that time so i i did notice that i was doing multiple rounds of revisions on estimates and that campaign concepts were changing by the day. That was pretty frustrating because I think you were, you know, we were just spinning our wheels a little bit and all of us were excited to work. Um, And I also um, have another group of producers that I speak with usually on Thursdays. And so the six or seven of us were able to exchange and talk about, you know, how they were being affected, what they were going through. And that really helped carry us through that summer and through through COVID as well, because we were able to share. And I think that's huge. I'm all about community rather than just being an industry. And, you know, we producers could have been competitors, but we were actually sharing information, supporting each other. We were all in the same boat. And those friendships really helped during that time. Yeah, I think it helps in general for everybody to be friends as opposed to being competitors in a lot of things. Now, of course, you're going to compete for jobs or whatever, but I think to sit there and try and like, Oh, I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to tell you anything. I'm not going to help you is counterproductive for everybody. It's true, yeah. I, and I am, I am right there with you, Mark. I, it's um, 
that goes against my nature completely. So, and I would much rather have an inclusive, supportive, you know, enthusiastic life than be worried about somebody taking my jobs. Like that's no way to live. No, thank you. Yeah. There's enough pie to go around. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I, and I think it's a lot of times it's one of those things where there's no, there's no real reason because you're going to compete against somebody for the job. So, I mean, there's no reason not to, to help out other people, you know, to try and help them because whether they're going to compete against you or not, it's still going to come down to your work and you as a person, I think. So to help them out a little bit on whatever it is they need, I don't see it being a really bad thing for anybody. Yeah, you're right, Mark. I think that's, you know, we each have our own unique angles and gifts and I'm sure you experience it, you know, on your end as well, where you might be triple bidding against somebody who, who you're friends with or regularly compete against. And so doesn't it feel better to compete against somebody who's your like, you know, not partner necessarily, but um, somebody that you can lean on and call up and say, Hey, wow, we both lost out on that job. Let's talk about it for a minute. Yeah. And I'd rather lose to somebody I know and like, there somebody that yeah that I don't know. Yeah, I actually had a guy one time I was I wasn't officially bidding on a job. I had just had an issue with um a person and I was telling somebody else I know who knew the company and I was like, "Listen, tell them I heard they were shooting. I thought it was like a half day or something. I don't remember what it was. It was just a very easy easy shoot." And I was like, tell them I'll do it for, if you talk to them, tell them I'll do it for a thousand dollars just because I was not happy with the person who was shooting it because they had screwed me over on some other stuff. Well, it turns out a friend of mine was bidding on the job and it wasn't a half day shoot. It was a three day shoot or two or three day shoot. And it was a much bigger scope than I thought it was. And I I didn't know anything about the shoot. I just told a friend, well, my friend, I didn't think she was really going to go tell the company or she went and told the company, Oh, Mark will do it for a thousand bucks. I got a phone call within probably an hour with a friend of mine who was bidding on that bitching me out, just letting me have it for the fact that I was undercutting everybody. I was screwing the whole community and I was just, and I had to be like, dude, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. I don't know anything about this job. And he told me about it. I was like, Oh well, no, I would never do it for a thousand dollars. So then when they called me back, I think I bid purposely what I knew was going to be probably 30% higher than they would pay or anybody else just to make sure I did not get it because I didn't want him calling me trying to figure out if I did it for 1500 or whatever. Uh, you know, that's something that story reminds me too of one thing that I really love about my job too, is that I still get to use my diplomacy. Yeah. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> yes. The way that you increased your fees by 30% because you didn't want the job. That's, that's one part of, you know, being a producer that I really love. And, um, I think also because of COVID, I I end up doing a lot of creative management for photographers who maybe don't have reps and they just need project support, you know, when they need an estimate or um, usage negotiations after the fact or something. And that's, I love negotiating. It's such a game to me. And it's, you know, they're they're contrary to belief, like nobody's a loser negotiations. The best negotiations are when both parties feel very happy and satisfied with the outcome. And that's so fun for me. So um, I like how you played your game too. <laughs> yeah, luckily he, I, we, we're still friends. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't think you he go. got the job though. I think somebody mm. ended up getting the job, but that is a downfall with some of the freelancers that you don't often get the feedback of why, why did the job either go away? Why did it go to somebody else? Maybe there's an internal situation. The project might've gone away completely or the concept has changed. It's, it's hard sometimes when you get involved in a bid and an estimate and then you don't get the follow through, you know, oh, yeah. project just goes away. If we had that information, I think it would make us stronger as individuals too for the next time we're, we're in an estimating. It's nice to know that stuff because I rarely get it. Occasionally I get that. I actually lost one job where I was talking to the, the producer for the company and we were talking the, on one day and he was like, hey, just wanted to let you know you it's not official yet but this job is going to be awarded to you it'll be official tomorrow i was like all right cool well i knew i needed and this was at like four o'clock five o'clock in the day so i was like great so i went ahead i knew i was going to need some equipment so i went ahead and ordered a couple other things and got it ready the very next day before lunch i get an email going they went in a different direction 
So I called him. I was like, what happened? He goes, well, what happened was our company, the client was working with an ad agency and the client went ahead basically and picked me and told me they wanted me. But the ad agency got mad that the client didn't clear it with them first. And so the ad agency said no and went with a different photographer and said, this is who we're going with and this is what we're doing. And so it ended up that I lost the gig because the two clients, my two clients, I guess, were fighting each other. And same thing happened when I first started. I had an agency said, we're, we, you're going to be the photographer, we're going to do it. But then they got in an argument with the agency. Uh, the agency got in an argument with the client and the agency that, I was, that had hired me fired the client literally two days before the shoot. <laughs> it can be like the wild west in this industry, right? That's, yeah. actually, that's actually one of the reasons why I started writing. Um, I have another website called theproducer.com and that was one of the reasons why I started that website is because there is no standardization and best, pra best practices in yeah. the photo industry in the U.S., right? In other countries, I mean, even in, in I'm here in Berlin in my apartment right now. Um, in Germany, there are, there are rules and regulations for the photo industry that are a little bit more uh, strict. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a little bit like the Wild West. Yeah. And so I started writing about different issues. We have 50 different states in the U.S. Every 50, you know, every state has a different labor law. So in Texas, you might be able to work with a minor for a certain number of hours. But, you know, in another city it might, or another state, pardon me, um, it might be wildly less. Yeah. And, you know, how do you know? There's no one, one source for that. <laughs> how about which is, which is worse for minors, New York or L.A.? L.A. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought. No, no, no. I mean, but it depends on what do you mean by worse. So it's, I mean, it's like more, more difficult to more difficult more, to book the kid and get the kid on set and all that kind of stuff. Although yeah, New York, I heard, is not so easy anymore. Right. So I guess it's incorrect to say worse or better, but it's more restrictive in yeah. California than in New York. Um, but that means it's also more protective of and perhaps right. better yeah, yeah, for yeah. the kids for the minors. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Better for the kids, worse mm -hmm. for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which yeah. is why we once ended up shooting in texas instead so yeah hey. yeah. It <laughs> yeah it definitely happens what's the mm -hmm. difference between shooting in the u.s and shooting over in europe you know it really depends on the project and the campaign so i think it's it's hard to lump it all into one general statement um if there's a certain scenario you'd like to ask me about i'm happy to answer that but um you know, I, I'm here in Berlin right now in Germany, and I would say um, you might be able to work with less crew, and it might be a very, very efficient production here. Yeah. I heard, <laughs> Not I to play into certain stereotypes, was, but yeah. yeah. I was in Budapest for, I was working, doing some behind the scenes stuff on a, um, on a film, and they were talking about how they didn't have to do like a second unit in Budapest because of the laws. They could just put out people over there and just have a basically a second unit, but it wasn't officially a second unit. So it cost them a lot less money to shoot it over there than having to do an official second unit. Yeah. You notice a big difference when it comes to commercial film shoots as well. So if we're talking about, you know, film, there's no DGA here in Germany. So you, you know, you, yeah, you can get away with a little bit more. And I, I don't know if getting away is the right phrase, but you perhaps don't need every single role and you can economize with crew members. You can economize with certain approaches. Um, but I would also note that you might need more lead time with paperwork and approvals. So whereas um, LA and New York are quick with their permits and, um, you can get things, you know, pretty quickly. You might need a little bit more lead time in Germany or in the Netherlands or depending on where you're shooting or in France. Okay. So things are a bit more bureaucratic sometimes. So tell me about, with all that in mind, one of your favorite shoots or, you know, one or two shoots that you just loved working on and had fun mm -hmm. with. You know, my favorite shoots are the ones where I feel like it's a true collaboration with the photographer or the director, the agency or the client, and where it's this um, 
you know, like respectful, high energy, enthusiastic, um, because I am, you know, specialized in international production, I would say one of my favorite shoots was being hired to fly across Europe in a helicopter (laughs) with a director DP and, uh, and a photographer. And, um, it was my, my job to organize the flight approvals as well as the drone approvals and all of these different countries. And I also had to organize special helicopter aircraft because the photographer and the client needed these extremely banked shots where the photographer could stand on the rails of the helicopter with a harness and shoot directly down. And so it was wildly expensive. Were you on the helicopter? Yes. Oh, well. My favorite mode of transportation, FYI. Um, (laughs) Really? Okay. So fun. I am a little bit of an adrenaline junkie too, but um, so yeah, that was probably one of my favorites. And so every three days we were in a different European capital and I was working with, you know, the drone permissions change, you know, from month to month sometimes. And so that part was really tricky actually to get drone approvals in certain neighborhoods, especially in Paris. Whoa. Um, But yeah, we were in, you know, Amsterdam and London and Berlin and Paris and yeah, it was, it was pretty fun. So that might've been one of my favorites and um, that for sure. Yeah. But they don't always have to be wildly crazy. I I mean, the best projects are really when it's a real collaboration. You feel gratitude. People understand like you're there to support them but they also appreciate that you're problem solving for them. And um, yeah, so it doesn't have to be a big, sexy, cool project. Right. Yeah. It just has to involve collaboration and respect and appreciation, I think. Yeah, I yeah. agree with that. That's true. Mm-hmm. So as an adrenaline junkie, what do you do to get that going? Do you face oh. jump or sky <laughs> dive or what? Yeah, I've skydived. Yeah. I, um, I yeah, still want to do that. I've not done that yet, but I really want to do that. Yeah, it's so fun. And it's, um, I don't do that on a regular basis, but I think, you know, I, I really love a challenge. I love experiencing new things. And so, yeah, I've, I've skydived um, in, in Africa and I love scuba diving. I've been scuba diving with sharks in oh, French wow. Polynesia and Tahiti. And um, how many times have you done that? Oh, a few. A few. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what kind of sharks? Um, there were in Tahiti. There were lemon sharks, which are are not uh not so dangerous. Reef ch- reef sharks and black tip sharks, and yeah. So that's got to be really cool. Yeah, it was really beautiful. Yeah. Are they all just surrounding you, just like. Mm-hmm. Yes, oh. and then I'm also um wanting to do free diving. So that's the next thing I'm training for right now. So really? free diving, like holding your breath underwater and diving deep. Yep. That's, that's the next thing. So how long can you hold your breath right now? Um, about three minutes and 20 seconds. Okay. Did you see that um, documentary, The Octopus Teacher? I sure did. Yeah, that was pretty cool. That was beautiful, I, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, just the photography and that was amazing. But then the yeah. fact that the dude could hold his breath forever too. Mm-hmm. And I heard... Um, Oh, what's that dude's name? The the illusionist who bought his God, I'm totally blanking on his name. Like was in Times Square, like in a block of ice forever. David Blaine. Oh. Do you know who David Blaine is? I know who he is, but yeah, I'm not yeah, familiar yeah. with the stunt that you're talking about. Yeah, he's all kinds of shit. But um <laughs> he held his breath. He says he can hold his breath like 20, 22 minutes, something like that. Some ridiculous huh. amount of time. Yeah, I can't do that yet, but it's good to have goals. (laughs) 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 And I also go swimming outdoors all year long. So really, yes, definitely. Mm -hmm. In Germany? Anywhere. God, no. Uh -uh. Uh-uh. At what temperature, at what point do you go, it's too cold? I'm not sure. I haven't experienced that yet. Really? Mm -hmm. You're the exact opposite of my wife. (laughs) <laughs> my wife starts complaining that it's too cold. We're in North Carolina in the South. And my wife starts complaining that it's too cold somewhere in um, September. She starts telling me it's too cold. <laughs> so there's yeah. no diving 
in or swimming in the water outside during the winter. Oh my gosh. Do you wear a wetsuit or no? No. Mm -mm. I like how you say that. Like that's just not even a thought. Like, no, why would I wear a wetsuit? (laughs) No, I think to get the full effect, um, you need to have that cold water on your skin. Do you also do the whole thing in the shower where you turn the shower all the way over to cold before you get out? Sure do. That's impressive. (laughs) I'm way impressed with that. I, I just, I can't do it. I tried the cold water thing and I can do it for about five seconds. And I'm like, all right, I got to get out of here. I can't do it at, <laughs> all right. at that point. <laughs> but do you hire, do you hire photographers? Do they mostly hire you or do companies hire you? And then you, how's that all work? Yeah. So I, I get hired in a few different capacities and um, I would say about 30% of the time I'm able to recommend and hire the photographer. I might note that I, I don't only work in photography that happens to be my specialty and my passion, but I do, you know, international events and I do commercial video as well. So like film. Um, and so with, with photo, I would say about 30% of the time I'm able to recommend or have influence on that. And sometimes um, it's like some of my Scandinavian or European clients, they will hire me to put together a package you know, do the art buying, the art production for them and recommend various photographers, do that negotiation, um, which I really enjoy because then you have more of a hand in the, the visual outcome of the campaign. Yeah. And, um, and then otherwise, if I'm just hired for straight production, it's either a relationship that I have with the photographer, the photographer's agent or rep, or the advertising agency or the end client. Uh, if there's no agency involved. And so that's how I come into play. And I'm the the first person on the job to help take that 2D concept and turn it into a calendar, you know, a production calendar and numbers. So I get brought on to help create the estimate. I'll talk with the photographer or director and, and ask them like, all right, what's what's your creative vision for this? How do you see making this happen. And then I translate that into a timeline and budget numbers. So I do, you know, then I'll be focused on what kind of a crew we need to put together, what type of casting and location. So it's start to finish. And then the last one off the job, since I handle the financials at the end as well. And so oftentimes I work with photographers who don't have agents and need a little bit more support in terms of Um, estimates, negotiations, figuring out their fee structure, figuring out their usage and their licensing. Um, And that's really fun for me. I love that so much. Um, And yeah, that's, that's what I do. I consider myself in that regard, kind of uh, a dot connector and like putting together the ideal crew that really supports the production, knowing how to craft um, a production approach that will enable the photographer to have exactly what he needs and make the clients happy too. Well, it's great having somebody like you because it makes the photographer's job or just whoever's job a lot easier, especially for somebody who likes it like you do and is into Mm. it. Yeah. Cause that's the part I'd I'd rather just hand it to you and then, you know, answer questions you have for me about it and whatever, as opposed to having to do all that work. And that way I can just concentrate on shooting. It's so, so much nicer to have somebody like you. And it's a great delegation of skills and interest, right? I mean, yeah. I, I'm not the one to tell you what f-stop you should be at or what camera or lens you want to shoot this with. That's, that's not me. I can, you know, I can hold something for you, but, right. <laughs> <laughs> but put me to use by negotiating for you, by putting together an estimate, put, you know, pulling the crew together for you and figuring out, I mean, there's, there's no joke in this, but yes, there's a giant joke in this. My last name is how. So you know, I yeah. hope you figure out how to get your job done. So I know that's cheesy, but we're going to do a little that's wordplay good. and some fun right now. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Why not? Okay. So you said international events. Do you want to clear up what that means so people aren't calling you to plan their wedding? Yeah, I'm not going to plan your wedding. Okay. Thank you for asking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I'm getting married in Germany. Maybe she'll plan my wedding. No, they're usually activation events. So, okay. um, you know, when a brand or, um, you know, is coming out with a new collaboration and they're dropping a limited issue or, um, you know, it could be a new designer contact lens. No joke. I've done that too. 
Um, you know, and then we, contact lens. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So, <laughs> right. so these are usually like activation events where there's PR involved, where there's, you know, visual um, deliverables that are needed. It could be, you know, um, a press junket. It could be um, an actual experience and event. Um, it could be an activation around a brand. And so there it's a, a much larger scale thing. And COVID has impacted that as well, of course. Oh, but yeah. Um, and then also it could be, you know, curating a group of photographers and directors to create content for a certain brand. So that's what we did um, a while ago in Southeast Asia. So I was able to, you know, curate a group of image makers and then have the end client, you know, they just had a, a lovely array of photography and video at their fingertips for their brand. And the um, individuals were taken on a 10 day experience. And oh, wow. So, yeah, that's, that's what I love cool. to do. Mm -hmm. What's the difference between you as a producer and, say, an agency's art producer? Um, so, if we're talking of, you know, a really big advertising agency. Yeah, so and say a big agency calls and they have their art producer on their end who they're trying to find the photographer, they find the photographer, and then the, the photographer mm -hmm. brings you in. Do you collab with that art producer at the agency a lot? Most definitely. They, we will be the two individuals talking the most, I think. Yeah. And, um, but their alliance is with their agency creatives, their creative directors, their art, art directors, their account people. And then my role is to be, you know, supporting the photographer and the crew. Right. Um, and so the two of us, the art producer at the agency and I will be in contact, uh, very regularly, like our email and phone exchange will be the most frequent of any other player. And we're the ones organizing and making sure that, you know, the agency side is getting their stuff done, their deliverables, and I'm making sure that our production deadlines have been met as well. Do you ever get calls from art producers asking you for recommendations on whatever it is, photographers, places, hair and makeup, yeah. all that kind of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm pretty open with, with a lot of my resources. Um, I'm really community minded and driven that way. Um, but then some art producers will be juggling, you know, any more advertising agencies. So many roles have been condensed. There's been so many rounds of, you know, layoffs and things like that. So I think some people are juggling a lot, a lot of different brands and a lot of different projects. And so sometimes I'll be brought on in a consulting basis. So I'll do okay. production consulting or I'll do art buying consulting. And so then I'll put together recommendations for them. Well, that's good. Oh, that's a nice little side thing. So what's your ideal collaboration with somebody? Oh, I think what I mentioned earlier is, is respectful, enthusiastic, appreciative collaboration and teamwork. That's my ideal. And if there's travel in there and I can use my languages, that's probably my ideal scenario. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. All right. So tell me about producer.com. The producer.com was born out of needing a resource where we were talking about the issues in the photo industry. Um, you know, when payroll became a big deal and we were getting a lot of pushback on, um, you know, payroll costs being included in estimates and what the labor law reasons were for needing, um, for needing payroll in certain states. Um, but it was also a way for me to have a creative outlet. And through theproducer.com, I interview different crew members. I get to really connect with those individuals and talk about the same way that you do on this podcast. Like, how did you come to do what you do? Where do you find inspiration? And then having that in a written format is great because art producers and other producers and other individuals can go to that site and say, oh, I can get a feel for this crew member before I hire them. So it's almost like a vetting process. Oh, nice. Um, so that's been really nice. So that was, it was born out of my own need, the same way that Creative Camp was. And um, it ultimately had a community purpose, right? It's meant for the greater good. There's a little education aspect in there. There's a little bit of entertainment. Um, and it's just been rewarding to work on. Yeah, just a passion project. That's it. Well, I've enjoyed it. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I check mm -hmm. it out occasionally, yeah. And I enjoy the, what you've got on there. It's, it's pretty mm -hmm. cool. All right, so tell me about and the most interesting. Say that, what? 
Oh, and I'm gonna say, and I'm also an artaholic, so I can usually, you know, shed light on some of the art exhibits I've been to as well. <laughs> really? Yeah. What's your favorite art exhibit you've been to lately? When the last two years? Um, well, uh, here in Berlin, it was just the European Month of Photography in Berlin. Really? And uh, so I went to the Helmut Newton Foundation, um, and they had a Joel um, Joel Meyerowitz um, exhibit, and that was beautiful his use of color and his portraits um especially in, in rhode island and it was really beautiful so that was probably my favorite so far oh yeah. all right and i really missed that during covid you know having all the galleries and museums shut down it was that was a huge part of why i was in new york or any you know your draw to any major city is is the arts and and the arts have been so severely impacted so um I was really excited to bounce around to some galleries for a while. Oh, I bet. Yeah, mm -hmm. that is definitely something that's been shut down for sure. And that is, that's one of my, that's probably my favorite part about New York is the little, especially the little galleries, you know, or the smaller ones that have stuff. I've been to a few shows and I've always, they've always had some great stuff there. So I enjoy that part about New York for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So tell me about the most interesting or strangest thing that's happened to you since you've been in, I was going to say a producer, but let's just go all the way back to even when you're in your political time. Um, so all the way from there up to now. Uh, well, the strangest things do really come from our media industry. They're not, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. one thing that I love about being in production and especially in the commercial world is that you get access and insight into people and places you would never have access to if you just had your regular nine to five job, right? So yeah. if I was just in a beige cubicle, I would not have seen a custom hat making factory in Panama or um, like that's not my world. I'm not a milliner, right? So, um, you know, I wouldn't have seen the inside of um, those helicopters all over Europe or um, been able to meet you know, top athletes, or even known that there was such thing as a sports choreographer who teaches athletes how to move in front of the camera. So really, that's something that okay, I, that I did not know. Oh, yeah. And then you have to research, you know, the makeup artists for those, you know, sports campaigns have to research how the athletes sweat. Are they face sweaters? Are they body sweaters? Are they? Really? Yeah. Do they show perspiration on their upper lip? Yeah. <laughs> so that's wow. You know, so that's something that I think is really, really fun and wild. And um, one of the craziest experiences I've had was for a baby brand that was doing a diaper brand that was doing a, a worldwide rebranding, a huge new campaign, new website, new product. And there were multiple agencies involved internationally. Oh, so, um, and the photographer was from Australia, the um, advertising agencies involved were in Amsterdam, Hong Kong, Australia, the US. And it was a very high stakes shoot, very complicated. And um, there was one moment where there was a caravan of 10 vehicles that were getting ready to leave for location and we had to build a maternity ward um, at a school. So we couldn't shoot in an actual hospital and maternity ward for obvious reasons. And right. so we had to create something that looked like one. Also the casting I might add was really difficult. How do you cast for pregnant women in their, you know, eighth month Yeah. when they're only in their, you know, you might be casting four months previously. And yeah. So anyway, we're all ready to go. And I get a call from the school in Massachusetts saying, Hey, um, you actually, you know, you need the special insurance in order to shoot here this morning. Otherwise you can't show up. And I said, what do you mean special insurance? We have, you, we have given you our certificates already. We got approval. You gave us permissions. We have the location release assigned. It's five in the morning. We're getting ready to drive. We have all these international people here. And they said, oh, well, we need you to have anti-child molestation insurance. That's a thing? Um, what? What is that? Why, why do we need that? Because we, oh, we're shooting at a school. And Mark, it was because we were shooting at a Catholic school in Massachusetts. Did you so tell me you're not going to have any priests there? You'll be all right? <laughs> we don't have any priests on the shoot. It's going to be fine. The reason? 
Oh man. And the reason that we needed that is because that diocese was actually coming under fire because of that. And so it was so incredibly stressful. I have to say that that was a moment where I'm like, how do I figure that out? And so I negotiated and I said, I will figure out how to get that insurance for you. Please let us, let us arrive and start to build the set. And by the time we're ready to shoot, I will have that insurance for you. And so within three hours, it took us, yeah, within three hours, I only told two people, the photographer's rep and the advertising agency art producer. And together we worked and we got a special rider for that insurance by the time we were ready to shoot. Wow. And we were able to do that. And that insurance rider was tens of thousands of dollars. Um, and that was probably one of the strangest requests. And I didn't even know that was a thing. No, nor did I. And I'm sure that, you know, nobody will ever need that again. But, um, but now we know. Yeah. Wow. So I wonder if all the churches, Catholic churches have to have that now. Not sure. I'm not sure. Um, but I've had other really wonderful experiences that, you know, working with little kids and, you know, having their moms write me notes like 10 years later, um, saying that, you know, they were able to pay for college with a certain campaign or that it helped them, you know, gain confidence. Um, so that was, that's, oh, that's been good. Yeah. So there's, there's been other really, really fun things too that are unexpected. But I think what I really love about my job is that we get to be so creative, so resourceful and, Gosh darn it, I like to travel too. Well, then I think you did a good job. <laughs> yeah. I was telling my daughter wants to travel. She does, she's in college. She doesn't know what she wants to do, but she knows she wants to travel. Mm-hmm. And she's, um, she's a major in communications and criminal law or something. I don't know. And because she likes to, she also likes to bust people telling you lies. So she's like, maybe I could be a detective, but then she doesn't want to be a police officer first. So she's like, nah, I don't know that I want to do that route, but she <laughs> loves to travel and she likes to be in control. My dad always called her like, you know, little misdirectress when she was little because she was trying to control everything. So what I was telling her, this would be a you know, producer might be a good job for her because maybe she gets to travel. I highly recommend that everybody do internships first because you never know the ideal job. If you think you want to be an international banker and you're dealing with lots of money and flying over the world, all over the world, it's not actually what your job entails. (laughs) I think it's so important to do internships because it's the day to day, you know, moments that make up your actual life and job. And, you know, I feel really fortunate, really happy that I have this one. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or she definitely need to do the internship thing. Well, thank you so much. I think we've, we've done a good job. So thank you for being on here and um, participating and answering all my, my questions and uh, everybody watching, listening, gives it a thumbs up, like it, subscribe to it, comment on it, all that kind of stuff. And uh, we'll see you guys soon. Mark, thank you for having me. Thank you.